0: Welcome to Everyday Driver, where cars are more than just transportation. They're freedom, a common ground, a way to grow,
1: and can even make life better.
0: We're here to help everyone find a car they love and discover all the ways cars connect us. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is The Car Debate. We have these cheap sports cars. I've been driving the Z4 a lot. Mm -hmm. but winter is coming. It's not a game of Thrones reference. It's just a reality. Winter is coming here. You can see it turning. We got our first snow on the mountains here in park city. Yeah, we did. did. And so I'm thinking also, I'm having my brain shift also to while the Z four is the new thing. The Lotus is about to sit for a while. So I'm looking for those opportunities to drive the Lotus. you ever put winter tires on the Lotus? I've seriously considered it. In fact, I'll, I'll go one further. I was going to do it this year until, until we bought these cheap sports cars. Of course, right. they'll get the winter coverage. There's no point in doing both at once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would like to do the Lotus in the winter because I think just the visual of that is awesome. But the other thought I'm having about it is, side note, the Z4 and the Lotus both are open differentials. Oh, that's right. Which is not <laughs> ideal for that's winter. Right. The FRS that I had was great because it had a limited slip diff and it right. was phenomenal in the winter. Yeah. I think the Z4 is going to be fine. I think the Lotus would be riotously fun. But having an open diff <laughs> in the winter is not the best idea. <laughs> right, right. But I'm thinking of opportunities to drive that car because I've also got like serious summer rubber on it now.
1: You'd have to change completely. You oh, can't. Oh,
0: for sure, for sure. I, but I've got the yeah. most aggressive summer tires I've ever had on that car. So I drove it over here today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I okay just to set the scene here from my house to a freeway on ramp is the equivalent of two blocks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I laughed out loud in that distance. (laughs) Did you (laughs) just, just the two blocks getting on the freeway. I was like this and I've been driving the Z four is not an unfun car. Sure, I, sure. I've been sure. driving around in a convertible, fun, sporty car. I got in the Lotus. I was less than two blocks from my house laughing out loud about how much I like that car. This is what I want for all of you listening. That's great. I don't, and I don't care That's what great. it is. And it reminded me of, of an email we got from our friend Chris in Vegas. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who had a Lotus, and the Lotus for him was this pinnacle. Hi, Chris, by the way. Lotus for him was this pinnacle, this car he always wanted to own. He finally bought one. He was as in love with it as I am. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Life changed, Mm -hmm, and he got rid of his Lotus, and it was hard to get rid of.
1: It was crushing for Chris to get rid of this really car. It was really. It wasn't like, just all right. I'll he'd been look forward to building
0: one. toward having one. Yeah. Then he owned it. He loved it. He loved it the day he sold it, and he looked around his house. And he, was, he even actually said this in his email. He looked around his house and he was done, and he realized I own a lot of just Lotus branding. Just, <laughs> as, and and as now it I happens. don't. And now I don't have the car. Yeah. And it was really yeah. depressing. But then he happened because again, life changes. He bought. The AMG GLA 45 that we talk about—that Mercedes—essentially, right. it's a hot hatch. They, it's a, right, they say right. it's an SUV; it's a hot hatch. And he's in love. He's he's enraptured. Which I'm thrilled to yes. hear. By the way. So my point here is, and, I, and I'm even taking this lesson to myself because I love this Elise so much, but I'm aware of the fact that it, it may have an end date. Okay. And I will never love again. Exactly. The I, world will be without color. <laughs> exactly. Because the yellow lotus left my life. but <laughs> wah, wah. But, but, I, but I, loved, yeah. I loved Chris's story there because the the Elise and the GLA AMG 45, while, while both great in their own right, are not anywhere close to the same. Yeah. The, well, the,
1: nothing's the same as an Elise. I know. There, I know there's I know, no but, real but, comparison. But you're so, even shopping yes. in
0: different categories of cars. Yeah. And yet he has already thinking about all the things about the GLA that are just different, better, awesome compared to the Lotus that he loves. So whatever you're driving right now, this is what we want for you, that the car you're having to pay money for. Because let's be honest, they all cost money. Every month, they need something, whether it's the payment or the that is broken or the whatever. I hope that you're just excited when you drive it. Let's get down the block and be like, yeah, I made a good choice.
1: (laughs) Hey, I'm just excited to have a manual back in my life. I know you are, yeah. It is life-changing. I know we all talk about like, okay, is it a manual? Oh, if it's not a manual, it's no good. It's pretty good. To have a manual back in your life is pretty good. I drove the Cayman again. I got an oil change. I drove it down to Salt Lake. I love the Cayman. I, I love do. my Cayman. Not, it's do. such a freaking brilliant car. Well, and and not and every I got a manual back in my life.
0: Not every car needs a manual, but having Green, one is yes. special. It really sure. is. Yeah.
1: And I'm slower than Mercedes. Now it's not a Cayman. It has yeah. far less power, mm-hmm. but you know, I'm, I'm slow. I'm okay. But I'm enjoying the shifting part. I'm enjoying I'm the interaction. I think that's great. So cool. Hey, guys, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Season seven is now on Amazon Prime. Just wanted to mm-hmm. fill you in on that. It is fully there. So all seven seasons are now available. And uh, yeah, you can find the entirety of season seven. Now, because of this year, we only got five episodes, new episodes shot. Yes. But, you know, we're proud to have gotten those done. And there's there's special episodes. It's quite a diverse season of it's interesting very things broad. that we yeah, did. Yeah, for sure. For very sure, adventurous, yeah. cool cars. Very interesting. So that is all available, and uh, we're uh, already thinking into shooting season eight as we need to be. We're already sitting here planning and going through what cars are available. Well, I'll, That's I'll, what we're up against. I'll go you
0: one further. We're shooting season eight, which is which will premiere the first Saturday in January of twenty twenty one. I know we're all trying to fast forward to twenty twenty one. We will be on season eight again on Motor Trend Channel in 2021, but we are also already talking about season nine, which will be mid-summer of 2021 because we have to plan that far in advance. And you're right. With all of the weirdness going on in in the year that is 2020, and there's been plenty of weirdness, the thing that has actually been difficult for us has been the TV planning which is why we had five episodes of season seven. We're fighting to try to get six done for season eight, but even that's proving difficult because of the availability of travel and cars and this kind of stuff. I say it like I'm complaining. I'm not really complaining. We're still having lots of fun, you're your acknowledging but there you realities mm-hmm. and that's,
1: that's exactly what we're doing. And that's just it. It's when car manufacturers announce a car, when it joins the press fleet is really when it's available to that's journalists. True. That's true. When you yeah. can buy it at your dealership is when it goes into the press fleet. Mm-hmm. If it is for sale, that's when. So sometimes we've been getting, you know, the first pre production things of various yeah. cars, especially Toyota. But for the most part, if it's not in dealerships, I'll give you an example. The Mustang Mach One. It's kind of mm. old news right now, mm. but it's not yet in dealerships <laughs> as point. of this recording. It's a very good point. You're we right. can't yeah, drive yeah. it yet, so we're excited to do that and a lot of other cars. So lots of planning going on. But in the meantime, We were on this road trip recently to Colorado with our cheap sports cars. Mm -hmm. The cars did brilliantly, by the way. They did everything we asked of them. It was awesome. It was great. Along the way, there were spots where we stopped. Mm -hmm. And I looked down into some ravines and canyons, and I spotted some old cars, some junked cars that Mm -hmm. had driven off (laughs) the cliff, or they just got pushed off, or maybe they were dumped there. Somehow
0: we're no longer on the road. Yes.
1: Don't understand. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless... My my feeling was, oh, an old car that. Oh no, it got pushed off the. I can't really tell what it is. It looks like some old piece of something from you know Americana. I'm like, eh, who cares? <laughs> okay. And it got me thinking about the future, okay, and future enthusiasts, and will they be interested in the car decades mm. that they didn't grow up with? Mm. Because I'd look over the cliff, and there was something from the '50s. It was buried under rocks. Yes. And I'm standing there with Chance, and we're both observing, hey, it's still got a steering wheel. We should climb down. No, no stop. No, not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's parts. There's, that could be rest- – no. <laughs> nope. Leave it rusting. And hey, look over there under this pile of rubble. There was clearly something from the 30s mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the roof was boxy. Yeah. I don't know if the cars were dumped. I don't know the story. Yeah. And because they're not worth anything – They're left there. Authorities do not invest time and money to drag (laughs) them out only to go, oh, yeah, that wasn't worth it. This is nothing. Let's push it back over the cliff. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So these cars remain. And I thought, I didn't grow up with that generation of cars. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, you know, I didn't grow up in the 50s and 60s. So my proclivities, the things that I gravitate to aren't those cars. Mm -hmm. And so I have less love for them. And Mm -hmm. I thought, just leave them there. Who cares? They'll just rust and they'll eventually disintegrate. So it's, it's a question of driving the cars versus museums. Will decades of cars survive in a decade mm-hmm. by that? Mm-hmm. I mean, cars from the forties, cars from the fifties, cars mm-hmm. from the sixties. Mm-hmm. Will they survive completely unrelated to the generations of people that didn't grow up with them. Mm. And I want to break this down into American versus European versus Asian cars. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. And here's the American classics. Besides these, this list of cars, these handful of cars, will future generations even care about saving them and driving them or restoring mm-hmm. them? Because if you didn't grow up with that generation, we're seeing this in auctions. Yes.
0: We're also seeing it in Radwood. Radwood
1: is a is great our generation example.
0: That is actually going, we need to idolize these cars from the 80s and 90s because places like the big auctions don't care yet. Yes. Because they're further back. Yeah.
1: Will young people be attracted to future ownership of the art deco period cars like the Mm thirties. Will they love Packards and Duesenbergs and Mm -hmm. all those cars or will they only be in museums? Will they just be lumps of art to be like, yeah, neat. That's where yeah. cars came from. Yeah, 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 I don't want it. I don't want to drive it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here is this list of American classics. Besides these, and I might miss one or two, so if you own something that isn't not on this list and you're offended.
0: We're, we're, okay. we're trying to offend you. Of course we are. Yeah, we're, we're setting out to do that. Of course we are. It's very us. The first Corvette, 53 Corvette. Sure, yeah. The 57 Chevy Bel Air. Absolutely, yeah. 57 Ford Thunderbird. Sure.
1: The tail fin era, the height of the tail fins, the 59 Cadillac DeVille, the Series 62 mm-hmm. Cadillac. The 1961 JFK Lincoln Continental and the subsequent years. The 62, 63 cars were pretty cool. I like I like them better than the 61,
0: actually. 6'4 Six Impala, dude. Okay, Come I didn't on. have the
1: Impala on my list. Fine, fine, fine.
0: <laughs> the second generation. Do you need me to rap? Do I need to be that white? Anyway, going ahead. I'd on, yeah. love to hear no, that. No, we're not going to do that. Yes.
1: The 63 Corvette split window. Special car.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah.
1: How about all the mid-60s Muscle cars, the mid to late 60s, Mustang, Camaro, Challenger, Pontiac GTO, all those. 66 Shelby Cobra, of course, Mm -hmm. a 60s Jeep CJ and a little bit. Past that, just this 1970 Plymouth Hemi Superbird, and I'll mm-hmm. give you the Dodge Charger 2, the 77 Pontiac Trans Am, and the 87 Buick Grand National. That's a little bit too far. Getting into the maybe I care about that, maybe I don't.
0: Well, but but those, these are all niche cars that also were significant in their time. Everything you've mentioned is that way. Yeah, yeah. They were, but none of them drove really well. They were powerful, interesting, but point. they weren't yeah, nimble. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah.
1: Let's talk about build quality. A lot of them were heavy just because of the materials and the production processes. Mm. They were just heavy. Yeah. And a lot of them were really big with soft brakes and no steering feel and no modern tech. So my question to you listening is what will it take for future enthusiasts to be interested in these cars? Mm. What is it going to take? Here's a dichotomy. Here's the looking at it from the other standpoint, and that is European cars. It seems like, Almost every European car from that same era is more interesting and worth saving, which begs the question, does it come down to size of the car?
0: Mm, okay. Aside from right.
1: a parade float, like, yeah, that'd be cool to go. I'm glad you own it and I don't. That mm-hmm. Cadillac Series 62. Awesome car. Huge Impressive. Car. I love Huge seeing car. them. Don't really want to own one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I my garage is nowhere near big enough. Yeah. <laughs> Porsches, BMWs, Mercedes, Volkswagen bus. I'm really ready for that original Beetle to disappear from the face of the earth because you can get a better car from that platform in the Porsche 356. Well, yeah, but why that's why would you way buy a Beetle? Of,
0: because 356 is way overvalued right now. Well, yeah. A quarter I'll million bet. dollars for a 356. It's ridiculous.
1: Is there any place on the planet where you look over the edge of a cliff
0: and, hey, there's a junked jaguar xke
1: from the 60s just sitting down there <laughs> excellent point <laughs> hey, so look at the bottom of that ravine there's like is that an old lotus or i think that's an old 911 like a turbo
0: somebody got out their repelling gear is oh. going down to retrieve that chassis now let's yes. just leave it there yeah fair
1: point fair Are, point yeah. do you do that with his cars mm. hey look at that old aston martin ah leave it rusting yeah i don't need that yeah no they're more valuable than to-
0: The Jaguar, the Lotus, the Bentleys, yes. Well, we were off the side of the road during our road trip, and we actually stopped at one camera position. Chance got a shot of this, and they had – I don't really understand this. They had built up the side of the road closest to the river where it would erode the most. They Mm -hmm. built it up with the chassis of three old huge cars from the 50s. They'd used that as some of the support structure and filled it in with dirt, and now it was eroding (laughs) away and you could see the cars again. And it was like, that was building material? There, There are also reefs You sink them and they're reefs. They're useful. (laughs) This is what we call recycling.
1: It's amazing. Triumph, Land Rover, Minis, Ferraris, Alphas, Maseratis, Lambos, launches, even old Saabs. Yeah. Yeah. Are all more interesting and worth saving and potentially more interesting for a younger generation to be interested in the future Mm. because they'll still be around. I ask you, will future young generations be interested in the Chevy Bel Air? maybe
0: thoughts, what you, will it take for them to be interested in? You're sparking that? a lot of interesting thoughts here for sure. I think that there's, there's two layers to this in my mind. I love this this ponderance. And this is the classic topic Tuesday because all of you listening right now could talk on it for the next three hours. Exactly. And we will try to talk for the next half hour and still not be done. But I think there's two things going on here. you and I have talked about kind of the 40-year swath rule, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That roughly 30, 40 years back from current time, those are the cars that are spiking in auction prices and interest because let's be honest, generally 30, 40 years ago, Those were the people that were in high school or early college and couldn't afford the cool car. And 30, 40 years later, they have money. Right. And they want to buy the thing that connects them to their youth. Correct. And so that car is now interesting. And right now we're dealing with roughly the 80s, which is bizarre, and into the early 90s. And this is, again, Redwood is climbing because of this. Yeah. But I'm going to jump back to when I was a kid. Or, or you know when I was an early teenager and I was first starting to pay attention to cars in a real okay, way okay the cars that were getting huge amounts of money at auction were the cars from the 60s right right well now those cars yes you can still find them worth a lot of money but they've kind of come down well I the think cars so. from the 70s and 80s are rising the muscle cars are on their way out but let me go you one further the cars from the between the two wars the cars from the 30s okay okay. okay? and then the just post war okay, okay? okay the very the late 40s early 50s cars the people that used to have a connection to those i hate to say it this way are now dead or dying i hate to say it that way but let's be honest okay? so does that mean those cars go in museums or
1: does the family want them what if their family isn't interested and they just okay well those them
0: cars off? are all them? dropping in value the dusenbergs the old cars from the 20s all of those their heydays behind them Because the people that had connection to them were one of two things. Either they grew up with them or their parents had one when they were young. And both of those generations are now either dead, I hate to say it, or moving on to other things. Touching on your 60s cars,
1: about people you know then, they couldn't have that Corvette in high school Mm -hmm. in the 60s. But then later on in life, they're buying the new Corvette, whatever that is, Mm -hmm. because they can now afford it. Mm The people with real money are buying the old one at auction now. You're, you're They're not buying the new one out of the right. dealership. They're buying actually the one they the saw that's been they restored that's now two hundred thousand yeah. dollars. You're right, yeah, yeah. That's the even more money, you know, now I can go backwards in
0: time. But they care about those cars because they have that high school connection. And when and that's the thing. Once That group ages out, dies out, and I'm saying, look, it's we're moving through time here, folks. Yeah, that once that swath moves past, those cars start to drop, which leads me back to your question, which is, so what happens to interest in those cars? I think there's two things. One of the reasons the old American iron isn't as intriguing, I think, as the old European stuff. A lot of the stuff you mentioned is volume. The old American iron, by and large, was made in such staggering volume. That we use it that to we, build roads. That we just don't care so much. Yeah. Whereas you find an old Alpha, or you find an old Lotus, or or, a, or Aston Martin, or whatever. There weren't that many to begin with. It's, oh my gosh, it's one of those.
1: You think it's build numbers? I
0: think I think total volume is a factor. I don't think it's the factor. I think the factor is the passage of time. But I think on top of that is a layer of, do you know these? There were so few. I'll give you a great example of an old car. The Packard. Yeah. There aren't that many Packards. Period. They weren't a high volume car in their heyday. In the fifties, they were. There were more of them. Sure, but they're still a bit rare. Yeah. So my point is, Packards are much more likely to be maintained than an old Model T, because they made Model Ts. They made a lot of those. And and honestly, I haven't ever seen a Packard moving. I've only ever. I've only ever seen them in a few museums. museums. I've never seen one moving. I've seen a model. We were, sorry, side note. We were on a shoot recently for our little sports cars. Yeah. And you were headed toward camera at speed like you do. Yeah, yeah. And I came over the radio and said with a straight face (laughs) to the audience, just so you know, this actually happened. I came over the radio and said with a straight face to Paul, slow down, slow down, slow down, model T in the road. Todd's never said that to me on the radio before. And Paul slowed down because that's why we have radios, came up over the ridgeline. And by the way, we're on a road where there's no one and I'm standing there with a camera and heard it and turned around and here came a guy and his friend and a model T and they got literally to me at the camera position and you turned in the road and headed the other way at walking pace and so now I've got you coming in the camera yeah. and I have to say slow down there's a model T in the road and indeed I
1: came screaming up the hill crested the rise and and there was a Model T. So
0: my point is, in there's, the there's so many of those. I think most of you listening have probably seen. I'm not saying yesterday. I mean, it was for me, but probably seen a Model T. Many of you have probably seen one going, moving. Sure. When was the last time you saw a Packard? So I think they get preserved okay. because of lower numbers. So I think that's a factor as well. I have a I have a moment of hope, but I want to get to to it after your next thought. My
1: my. I want to get to the interest in driving those cars because now we're, we're so accustomed to Miatas, uh-huh. the small, the light. I scrolled past a 1961 Oldsmobile Starfire on bring a trailer. Mm. And I just scrolled on past. Cause uh, I, it's, it's who cares? I don't care. Okay. The 1963 Porsche 356 interested me far more. Sure. I grew up in the sixties. Why am I interested in that car? Well, it's because of Porsche, but mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. smaller, lighter. It, Is better looking to my eye. Out of those two cars, why is it the Porsche? And not that Oldsmobile Starfire. How many Starfires are still around?
0: Probably not that many. Because you and I are drivers, not cruisers. And some people, and this is no judgment at all. Some people are by to be seen in and cruise. Is that the only reason that these old cars will continue to exist and be
1: driven. I want them to be driven, not just parked in a museum. Agreed. Because we'll see them all in the museums and we'll be Mm -hmm. like, so that's what cars used to look like, huh?
0: Let's go get waffles. Well, but here's – I'll go personal here. I would love to own an E-Type. That's not a surprise to any of you listening. I'd love to own a Jaguar E-Type, not only because it's beautiful and it's historical, but it has a personal connection to me and my father and my growing up. And it is the car that sparked in me an interest in cars. True, true. So even without the connection to my dad, the fact that it's the car that has that connection with me is a reason I'd like to own that car. I've driven an E-Type. I've driven an actual stock E-Type in good condition. I've driven an E-Type that was very similar to an Eagle Speedster from Mm -hmm. our friends at Griot's that was perfectly resto-modded to to gloriousness. It was delicious. I've driven both. I've driven both quickly. I would not drive that car because I want to go on a fast drive if I owned it. Fair enough. I would drive it because I just want to go have that experience. Fair enough. enough. So – this, here's the weird thing. You and I try very hard on this podcast to encourage this car disease, mm-hmm. to encourage an interest <laughs> in not just commute droning, but actual yeah. driving. Yeah. This is the step beyond that. It's the step beyond I want to drive to be involved in the drive to I want to drive to have a different experience.
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. So
0: are we going to have people that are interested enough in driving to go beyond just well, I want that fun sports car, too. I just want to have something different. And that's a whole other layer. That now becomes a full hobby layer. But here's the part I wonder about. Okay. We have a friend we both know here locally who he has been a programmer his entire life. Mm-hmm. He's been a successful programmer. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't want an Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. For a long time, he wore one of those squat swatch skeleton watches. Yeah, you know the ones you could look through and see the gears. Yeah. He had one of those, and he it was cheap, stupid watch, but he loved it because he could see the gears moving. And he said to us very candidly, he said, "I can tell you how the Apple Watch works. I have no idea how this skeleton watch works. They use springs and gears to tell time. He, he, How's that possible? He, you, when he started telling us about it, you saw you literally could see this man get starry eyed." Like like a little you saw him become a little kid in front of us because he was just like, I don't know how this works. (laughs) And this guy, a successful programmer. Yeah. Okay. has made money as a programmer, been involved in startups. I want I want you to really understand the level of knowledge this person has (laughs) in programming. I think that's what happens to these old cars because of 3D printing.
1: Because the other problem with the really
0: old stuff is how do I replace that? Yeah, because it doesn't exist. Yes. But with 3D printing, I'm wondering. We have another friend here locally who he just works on old Porsches. Mm-hmm. Pretty niche. But he happens to have 3D printing contacts. So when he needs a part, he 3D prints it. Which is astounding. Now, he happens to have the means, but that's becoming more common. Yeah. So I'm wondering about these really old cars if 3D printing might revive them for the people that have. Now, granted, you got to be a bit of a car freak, you have to have the means. But to create something that isn't touchscreen, that isn't ones and zeros, and to just tinker in that because it works anyway. And I'm wondering if 3D printing might, I'm asking, might bridge the gap between our new technology screaming forward where everything's touchscreens and ones and zeros and connecting us and allowing us to dig into a different time and era. This is interesting. Technology is going to
1: save the old stuff. I hope it the does. The newest technology I hope will it does. hopefully save the old stuff. Okay, so here's my counterpoint and kind of where I'm, I'm in agreement with you and I'm headed this way as well. The question is, are current electric cars throwaway cars? Will anyone in the mm, future mm. think, you know what I'm going to restore and wrench on? Tesla Model S from 2012. I'm going to restore that thing. No, because future electric cars will have such better batteries and more powerful motors and better tech and better interiors and better Mm -hmm. build quality. And Mm -hmm. it'll just be better in every way. Mm -hmm. Why would you waste your effort on restoring a Tesla model S? Mm -hmm. That's the, that's the old. Mm -hmm. So are all electric cars right now, the Chevy bolt, the Porsche Taycan, Mm -hmm. the Tesla model S and and all the Teslas. Mm -hmm. Are they just, Yeah, they're just throwaway. We're all just waiting for the price to drop so we can own one. (laughs) That's the only reason we like electric cars. It's cool and all, but I can't afford one, and Mm. I have to change my life a little bit to really accommodate, and i got to install the thing in the garage and Mm. da-da-da. But are we just waiting for the price to drop? Because now when the Chevy Bolts are old, is anybody going to be like, yeah, let's restore the Chevy Bolt? No, you're going to restore the 60s Camaro. Mm -hmm. You're going to... Go way back because of that visceral connection. Mm-hmm. This is how cars used to run, mm-hmm. and because they're not ones in N zeros, will young enthusiasts rediscover the old cars and suddenly love them because they're not for the same reason of our friend? Maybe who loves I, I that ho- watch. I
0: hope so. I hope so because I agree with you. I think that because of what electric cars are, and because of that exponential increasing of technology that has existed since the dawn of computers. Okay. I do think that cars with electronics have become more disposable than ever.
1: Yeah, that's and I the think, way it's going. I think
0: that the shift point is in the 2000s when everything started to get a nav screen. Yeah, okay. And everything okay. started to have some level of more aware cruise control with a screen.
1: Yeah, built in okay. tech. and Yeah. Prior screen. to that,
0: and this is, I'm sorry, I can't believe this Screens is Screens like, are killing cars. This is like the Radwood episode by accident. We should have those guys on the podcast. because <laughs> yeah, we Because- that era, the eighties and nineties, was the last gasp of it isn't affected by a screen. It isn't affected by current tech. Granted, you got a tape player, but you can replace that. My point is,
1: <laughs> or just starting, use it.
0: Starting in the two thousand, look, my my Phaeton, two thousand four, yeah, was cutting edge for two thousand four. But there is nothing you can do to that head unit because it is the yeah. brain of the car. Yeah, and if that goes or goes haywire or dies. You're screwed. So I think once we started to connect to technology, cars, because they become so obsolete technology-wise, start to become far more disposable, not as extreme as our phones, but you can see the connection. And I think electric cars are leading that charge, which makes them more likely to be disposable, which is crazy to think about. I'm reading that you can buy crate electric motors now. Of course you
1: can. And... Of course, people have been doing that just, you know, mm. as hobbyists, but now manufacturers are providing crate electric motors, mm. which, you know, cool to convert the old yeah. cars to electric. Cool. But aside from a joke and just, you know, for purposes of creating a stupid video, is anybody going to take some Tesla and be like, yeah, crate Chevy LS swap to Tesla? Yeah. <laughs> no, there's not a whole lot of reward in doing that. You might as well just go wrench on the Mustang or Chevy. That it sure, you might as well sure, just sure, go yeah. put your effort into that car to have something cool and different. Why? Why would you? Why would you do that? Why would you go the other way? We're going to put gas engines and all these stupid electric cars. I <laughs> do. <laughs> I
0: do kind of want a, no. a, an LS in a Model S now. I never wanted that until this conversation. You now, and I, I joked the Hellcat funny.
1: and the Prius, and then somebody indeed and went and did that right. a couple of years ago. Yeah. We saw it mm-hmm. SEMA. Yep. And then, what about future electric cars? Are people going to be like? You know what you know what that goes with? A V8. That that Audi e-tron needs a V8 swap.
0: Why is it that I am so YouTube conditioned I can see the thumbnail that says world's loudest Tesla on it for YouTube. World's loudest Tesla. And you've got some, you know, straight-piped Viper motor in a Tesla. Yes. Because you can, of course, you know, because I mean, there's no purpose for your that time, whatsoever. Money and it's energy. a massive waste, yes.
1: Wow. Okay. Quickly, the Asian cars that I would be interested in, I can't decide on any Hondas, to be honest. Like, from the 60s, what Honda cars do I want? I'm still working on that. But the Toyotas, the 2000 GT certainly. Land Cruisers are awesome. The Datsun 240Z, yeah. Old Miatas, like an 89, the first generation NA. Yeah. More interesting to me than an old Starfire or a 50s... Packard, whatever, or a DeSoto or whatever.
0: Mm, interesting. I'll take okay. an old Miata. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you can do stuff with it. And they're yeah.
1: small and nimble and light and yeah. interesting
0: well, to drive. It's, it's also back to the you can get parts. You can get parts. You don't feel like you're buying something where if something breaks, you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: the Mazda Cosmo is interesting. Early yeah. Nissan Skylines are interesting. Mm-hmm. But again, those are the, the old stuff. That's the, it shouldn't really matter anymore. But as electric cars proliferate, I think the old stuff is going to matter even more. Do you? I do. All right. Because why would I care about the the next e-tron, the Audi e-tron that isn't even here yet? Mm -hmm. Awesome. I can't wait to drive it. It's going to be awesome and mind-blowing. And it'll be able to do amazing things. It'll be fast and comfortable and
0: whatever. For six months.
1: And then there will be the next electric car. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And why will anybody? You're just waiting for that new cool thing to drop in price so you can own it. And then you'll get rid of it and get the next but the cool stuff, the ones you really care about and want in your life, and driving or cruising, yeah. is the old stuff.
0: You're talking about timelessness. Yeah. And I, I agree that I think we're in an era of where the cutting edge of cars aren't timeless. They're timely. I'm splitting hairs now. They're timely. They're okay. interesting because of where tech is right now and what it suggests for the future in electronics, in autonomy, they're interesting right now, but are they timeless? And I think no.
1: Yeah, I think no. It's weird having the background of design education and having your instructors tell you that the thing you're designing will eventually end up at the landfill. That's hard to take as a student. Mm. Yeah, that cool thing. You put all your effort and the thought process and it's the coolest design ever. It'll be sold and people will use it. And it'll end up in the landfill.
0: We're going to design it for the clang it's going to make in the trash can when it hits it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. It's going to be the heaviest thud and satisfying sound when it hits the garbage. But with cars, not so much. Mm-hmm. Those are the one product that is if furniture is also another product. That hangs out. Yeah, for sure. Like furniture, yeah, yeah, yeah. old furniture that's classically designed like mid-century modern furniture. Mm. You pass those pieces down. Mm-hmm. Those last. Same with cars. Unless it's a whatever i can't tell old american iron that's buried under the side of the roadway and or at the bottom of a ravine that's probably going to stay there i need my binoculars can i borrow your telephoto lens i want to see nope it's it's upside down and rusting i can't tell what it is who cares i'm intrigued where things are going so write to us i'm curious to know your thoughts on this i'm sure i missed one but i'm curious to know what you guys think when your car needs new brakes it's a great time to upgrade for better stopping power we're excited to partner with PowerStop Brakes for an easy way to get more
0: performance from something you already need. PowerStop is on a mission to deliver better brakes on every vehicle in every situation from daily commuting to towing to track days. These are all bolt on direct fit parts for better braking, no modifications required. Every PowerStop
1: complete brake kit comes with all the parts you need to upgrade your brakes, including pads, rotors, and even those little clips and fasteners. Plus, all their pads are made from a carbon fiber ceramic compound, which
0: they've tested extensively to deliver low dust and noise-free performance. So the next time you need brakes or you simply want to upgrade, visit PowerStop.com and enter your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use car finder. We even found great kits for our SUVs and our cheap sports cars. Give your everyday driver the easy and affordable performance upgrade it deserves at PowerStop.com. Take a guess at the one thing we can't get enough of car
1: stuff. That's right, that's why we love Haggerty Drivers Club. Starting at $45 a year, you'll get six issues of the award-winning Haggerty Drivers Club magazine, which is chock full of interesting
0: reads and beautiful photos. You'll also get access to members-only live stream on topics that range from car values to automotive history, DIY tutorials, and a whole lot more. Plus, membership comes with tons of automotive discounts from big brands, including Deal of the Week, which is always an exclusive deal that only lasts a couple of days. If you love cars, and we know you do, This club
1: is for you. Learn more at haggerty.com slash everyday driver. Jason M. is in Boulder, Colorado, writing to us with two questions. First question is, why are Subarus so bad on ice? Hmm. Okay. Didn't really realize they were. All right. The second question is, what is the best SUV for a tree hugger car enthusiast? Okay. (laughs) Hope to tackle both of these. Jason says he's all out of ideas. Would love our help. They're looking for a replacement for his wife's 2015 Subaru Forester 2.5. He says it's been the perfect car for her roomy, relatively inexpensive, good fuel economy, and she blends in with the thousands of other Foresters in their hometown of Boulder, (laughs) Colorado. But he says, please tell me if I'm crazy. The Forester is horrible on ice. It suffers from the same, quote, ghost walking syndrome that plagued their 2007 Outback. Okay. Okay. He says winter drives are explicitly terrifying despite new Blizak tires and a good alignment. Mm. He says the car knows that he hates it and may be trying to kill him. <laughs>
0: have you ever had that experience in a car where you're just like, this car knows how much I loathe it. I've had that experience for sure. I know my
1: computer can hear me because, you know, you have to treat it nice and talk nice That's to it. That's so funny. But he says there's no love between he and Subaru. Now, secondly, he needs these out-of-the-box thinking. He says they're looking for a wagon or SUV with great mileage greater than 35 miles to the gallon, that doesn't crush his enthusiast soul and has room for two teenage girls. Okay. Their price range is around $60,000, which is excellent. He and his wife would prefer something new, but not too fancy. They regularly road trip to see family in Los Angeles and also Park City, Utah here, as well as skiing, biking around Colorado. He says full electric is out because of the road trips, but a plug-in electric vehicle would be just fine. Mm Okay. All right. He had high hopes for the new Highlander hybrid, but, but found it to be disconnected. And his wife thinks that Audis have a weird smell. (laughs) Okay. I've never read that sentence That
0: is one of those things. Honestly, when we get letters from you guys, thank you. Everyday Driver TV at Gmail is where to send in your car debates or or random observations like Audis have a weird smell. The the number of times we read something like that where it's just like that's one of those no way around it sentences where we just go, never seen that before. But apparently we're avoiding that whole brand. Audis have a weird smell. Okay, good. (laughs) For context,
1: his daily driver is a Tesla Model 3 Performance, which his wife regularly steals. This is interesting. His other daily is a 1992 Porsche 911, 964 generation. Cool. Also on the ice driving front, he used to be a ski instructor in Vermont and has had more than his share of slippery driving experiences. He says, maybe I'm not as good as I think, but the Subarus are the worst he's driven on ice. Interesting. I didn't realize this ghost walking thing. That's
0: well, rough. That's here, tough to hear. Here's what I wonder. When I had my Sabaru, I remember having it up on a lift and we were, we were joking about, because again, it's a Subaru. Oh, by the way, for those of you that are just joining the podcast, I said Sabaru on purpose because it was a 9-2X <laughs> yes. Saab built on a Subaru chassis. I'm aware that these are different words. Sabaru is the joke for that. Yes, so yes. we had it up on a lift at one point and it was funny because you could walk over to any one of the four wheels and you could turn it. And you could watch the other wheels move at the same speed because of their symmetrical all-wheel drive. Right, right, right. You could just spin everything. from. It's fascinating awesome. to see. Yeah. I actually wonder, since Subarus are built that way, and they're not really sending power around the car to chase grip, if that's contributing to what you're sensing. Since they're all kind of moving as one, yeah, could if be. that's contributing, once once you start to have a problem, it's just on all four wheels. Now… I'm I'm theorizing here. I'm going to say this to you. The big thing I take away from here, Jason, is we love winter tires. I'm obviously the prophet of winter tires. I talk about it all the time. But if you're dealing with ice, ice, you need studs. I mean, winter tires are great. I love them. We don't get a ton of ice in Park City. But if you're dealing with like sheet ice, which I know happens in some cities, that's when studs are the thing you want because they dig in. Mm -hmm. in a way that doesn't happen even with winter tires. Now, winter tires are going to be far better than anything else, but I don't know how much sheer ice you're dealing in, but that is a whole different animal that winter tires are not great for. Now, some cars, as you've discovered, are better than others, but if we're talking, I mean, people that talk to me every now and then about tires, and they're like, well, I go up and down like ice-covered hills,
1: that's, that's an not entirely a, different.
0: It's not a regular conversation. Yeah, we have that conversation, a like, scenario. congratulations, you need studs because yeah, most of the time yeah. in Park City, studs are irrelevant. We so rarely get anything covered in ice. You see the person go by in studs. I'm always like, that's overkill. But We don't get a lot <laughs> of ice here, especially in the fall when the, yeah. the roads are still dry. We get that right around Halloween. Get it at Halloween. It's like, thanks for destroying the roads, sir. Appreciate exactly. it. But, but honestly, if it's a lot of ice, you're down to studs or chains.
1: Yeah, indeed. Well, interesting. I like I said the Subaru all wheel drive thing that if one wheel is slipping and this is why manufacturers are starting to go that direction. Indeed, the newer Subarus are they are They're able to change the torque distribution. And that mm-hmm. is the entire point, what you're identifying. But clearly you can still feel that. And it still feels like it's not distributing it properly. So rather than telling you to go buy another Subaru,
0: let's do something choices. else. Good. I'm
1: glad go for it. I have lots of choices. I thought of the CX-5. The CX-5 is a great place to start. That grand touring with the turbo is mm-hmm. delightful. Yeah. I will also say any Cayenne for $60,000. Love the Cayennes. Also yeah. very versatile and useful. Yeah. You know, you were talking about mileage per gallon. Greater than 35 miles to the gallon That's in an hard. SUV is that's, a tall order. That's really difficult. We have driven the new Toyota Venza. Mm-hmm. It's, Todd dubbed it the Prius of SUVs. Yes, mm-hmm. it kind of is. It doesn't drive spectacularly well, but it's going to sell in crazy volumes mm-hmm. because it's an SUV and it gets great gas mileage. It also has that cool electrochromic glass option in the roof you can get That's now. That's true, yeah. And I think it's going to fit for a lot of people. It's going to be a great car SUV thing for a lot of people. The styling is dramatically better than the mm-hmm. old one, even though it is kind of strange looking and you've got to get used to it. But those cars are put off to the side for now. Because I think it's all about Volvo. I wondered if you'd go there. I went there. Keep going. The XC60 is a great starting place. It only gets 29 miles to the gallon, though, but the V60 and S60 is also brilliant. But look at the XC60 Recharge. Okay. It's a pretty new model. It gets fifty-seven to the miles per gallon, miles to the e gallon. Which uh, yeah. I think we all need a new system of measuring miles. We to do, yes. Because mm-hmm. You're trying to calculate electric car range with miles per gallon of mm-hmm. liquid fuel.
0: It's there's no equal sign there. In yeah. spite of how many little e's you put in the equation, I work.
1: still maintain that Microsoft Word needs to update their save button instead of basing <laughs> it on a three-point-five-inch floppy disk. We all know pe- what th- most people, people th-
0: haven't even seen or touched. We all know what that means, though. That's the key <sighs> thing, though. Yeah.
1: But yes, start there, especially that XC60 Recharge, because Todd and I recently drove the S60 Mm -hmm. 400 Hybrid. Mm -hmm. It's the the model that is just below the Polestar Performance version. It is everything you can get. And the hybrid nature of the car did not interfere with the fun-to-drive nature of the car. It was quite impressive, yeah. Because many times that hybrid feeling interferes and you think, okay, that's where it kicked in. And Mm -hmm. all right, Mm -hmm. now the fun stops. Or it starts in hybrid mode and you're like, where's the gas engine? I need the power, you know, whatever. So it did not. And it was genuinely fun to drive. It was delightful and I rarely use the word seamless. I hate the word seamless. (laughs) Because nothing is seamless. It's when software developers talk to you about this program interacting with that program, and they use that word, Mm -hmm. which is never true. (laughs) Ever. (laughs) Yes. It was pretty impressive. But there's another sweet spot over here that I want you to consider, and that is the V60 Cross Country. It's got a slightly higher ride height. Or if, if you're feeling lucky, the V90, like... Just throw it down. All the beans, that's only 30 miles a gallon. But the the V60 cross country is 31 miles per gallon. It looks great. It's that S60 platform that we love. Mm -hmm. Everything about it is absolutely fantastic. You will feel in driving and owning that car like you've discovered something nobody else has. Mm -hmm. I know there's lots of the older cross countries in Colorado. They're everywhere. Just as many Volvos are in Colorado as Subarus. I know. But the new ones feel special. Mm -hmm. They feel different. They feel Mm. elegant. They feel classy and beautiful and well-constructed. You're going to feel special and unique, even though you might see five others in your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Fine. We're all in agreement. Mm -hmm. But if you really want
0: to blow the budget. Oh, good. Excellent.
1: I kind of did it. I, I went wild because there is a car that I would take above the Volvo, if you can believe it. Okay. All right. It's almost an SUV and thanks to mercedes they're actually bringing it to the us for 2021 it's on their website okay go negotiate with your dealer the e450 matic all terrain wagon hmm. starts at $67,000 which means it's not going to be 60 grand no it's not it only gets 28 miles to the gallon okay it does that have that 48 volt you know
0: boost mm-hmm. essentially yeah, yeah, yeah. they're with putting the that a alternator lot of boost models. they're awesome yeah
1: it's got a lot of power that engine, I believe it's the same engine in the GLS 450. Probably, yeah. The GLS moved. Oh, big time. This thing is going to move. Not quite the gas mileage you're wanting, 28, but depends on it depends on how you drive any of these cars. Of course, yeah, yeah. But, oh, a Mercedes cross-country wagon. Mm-hmm. Unique, awesome. I love the MBUX system. We love the it's Mercedes cool. interiors. Yeah, 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 We love the interaction, the electronics, the quality, the feel. I am so all about that thing. Mercedes is killing it right now. I yeah. see that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's so that's, good stuff. that's in your very, very new. You, I, I think it's worth a look. I do. But the Volvos are the sweet spot. They're beautiful. They're elegant. Go look at the Volvos, especially that XC60 Recharged. Pretty interesting.
0: You and I had some overlap, but we didn't cover the exact same things, which I like. The big things that resonated with me here, Jason, was the fact of how much you have not enjoyed driving these Subarus. Yeah. So here you come at us looking for an SUV, looking for gas mileage, but the big thing there's there's honestly there's three paragraphs here in your email that makes up almost half your email that essentially is telling us how much you hate driving the Subarus, and then we get down here into you have a Model Three Performance, which in its own way is quite fun to drive. Yeah. And you have a 911, which is an enthusiast car. He's got the bookends almost. So what I'm, what I'm reading in here, is, and you drove the Highlander and you found it disconnected. Well, of course you did. Okay. So what I'm reading here is I think you need to sacrifice your miles per gallon a little bit. Okay. And right. chase something that does what you need it to do and also offers you as a driver some involvement and interesting fun. I agree. Greater than 35 miles to the gallon, you're, you're relegating yourselves to not fun to drive. You just are generally speaking, by and large, just, that's just what's happening. Yeah. I'll give you one in this category. If just, just your initial headlines: SUV for family, all-wheel drive, and gets more than the 35 miles to the gallon. You get yourself a new Toyota Rav four in the hybrid, yeah. and you call it a day. Yeah, but I would not describe that as fun to drive. It does what it does very well. Yes, yes. but I wouldn't describe it as fun to drive. You're going to have the same problem you had with the Highland. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Yeah. So I think the sweet spot for you is wagons. Wagons. I think it's all about wagons. So I have three I want to bring up. They're all used, but they're not very old. And they're all getting right around 30 miles to the gallon. I think that's acceptable. 30 miles to the gallon for a performance car that's a wagon and all-wheel drive. I think this is pretty cool, man. So, Jason, this is where I went for you because I think the real struggle you're not putting out front is you need to like driving it. You haven't put that as a headline, but I think your emails made that clear. So, I also went Volvo, but I went a couple years back. Okay, okay. I found a 2018, and you could shop for other ones of these, but a 2018 V60, which means wagon, Polestar, which means all-wheel drive and fun. $45,000. Nice. You got money left over. That is a... That is a sleeper bullet of a car. Leftover money needs to be spent. Well, that's a whole separate thing. But that this look, this is a this is a bullet of a car. Uh, the one I found was black, which was super subtle. You can also get in that fantastic blue, which is really oh, awesome. Yeah, but thing, that does yeah. say, "Look at me." But this was a this was a black one.
1: Forty five thousand dollars, gorgeous. Those are cool. Uh,
0: you those could cool. put the teenage girls in the back and stuff in the hatch and rocket your way everywhere you want to go. And those get <laughs> yeah. thirty miles to the gallon. That's the other thing about it. Those get thirty. That's impressive. That's very impressive. Yeah. So there's that. In a similar vein, in a similar price point, the Mercedes E Class Wagon, yeah, yeah. a three hundred and fifty four Matic gets twenty eight miles to the gallon, and that's a nice place to be. Now I am not shopping Brilliant. brand new ones, but that that's a nice place to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Then I have a wild card, okay, because the gas mileage is not as good. Okay, here is a downside. You might be open to consider to Porsche hybrids. Porsche hybrids don't do great on gas mileage. the uh, The hybrid Cayenne, for example, gains like two miles to the gallon. Hybrid from Porsche usually means we figured out a way to
1: maybe save a little fuel, but we just made it faster. Yeah. So that's anyway, really good. So that yeah,
0: but the um the hybrid cayenne is not going to be good enough in miles per gallon. It's going to be maybe twenty five. Okay. Yeah. So I don't think you're going to go for that. But you can hit thirty in a Panamera hybrid. <laughs> yes. Now that is a dead car. That's also a rocket ship. Get an all-wheel drive. Get a Panamera 4 hybrid. Yes. Yeah. That, that's going to be awesome in the yeah. snow. It's going to get roughly 30 miles to the gallon. It's also going to be a place, I think, like your Model 3, I think that's a car your wife would take from you. You're I like, agree to that. I just I want, think- to take the, I want to take the Panamera. I think you and your wife and the girls would be perfectly happy taking a road trip in the Panamera hybrid. It's a little wild card because we're down a little more on gas mileage, and it'll have more care and feeding. Indeed, Panamera Hybrid, I, my favorite for you, honestly, though, is the V60 Polestar. I think you are the dad who needs to shop all-wheel drive wagons and be very, very happy. We're longtime users and big
1: believers in Griot's Garage car care products. That's because while many other brands are just rebranded versions of the same few products, Griot's Garage has developed, manufactured, and bottled bespoke car care products since 1990. Griot's is a family company based in Washington State, still dedicated to having the best products for every car and budget. In fact, I learned all my
0: certified Paul-owned car care styles from Griot's. And now you can tune up your car care routine. What you need is a foam cannon. Create a high foam blizzard right in your driveway. Foaming requires little to no work and avoids wash and do scratches. It's the safest way and super fast and cool to wash your car. Try the Griot's Garage foaming system complete kit today and see what foaming is all about. I'll tell you right now, it's made cleaning faster.
1: Griot's Garage products are 100% guaranteed and all liquid products are made in the USA. When you're ordering at griotsgarage.com, use the code Everyday for 15% off liquids and 10% off everything else on your order. That's G-R-I-O-T-S. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com. Speaking of Panameras, Brian D. writes to us on Facebook, he went to his first autocross in a Panamera. Okay, all right. Is there anything he should do to the car after each run? It seems like some people had their engine run a little bit with the hood open between runs, and other people did nothing but just turn it off. Well, from our track days, we've had a couple of recent open track days. Mm -hmm. We've enjoyed ourselves thoroughly. I've been out in the Cayman GTS, and we've had 30-minute runs. Mm -hmm. And the last couple of laps probably two to three laps. I'll back it off. I'll be going 50% as fast as I mm-hmm. was on track, yeah. Yeah, yeah. just specifically for cooling. You know, I'm shifting early. I'm just giving it a cool down. Just, you know, let the brakes and tires and engine not rev quite all the way to red line. You yeah, know, yeah. just giving it a cool down for autocross runs. You're in the under 62nd range yeah, true. for an autocross true, true. Yeah. run. Yes. I know that you're banging off red line and, you know, coming out of some corners, but you're instantly hard on the brakes, but it's not like you had a thirty-minute track true. session with the true, car. True. Yeah. So while autocrossing is hard on a car, it's for very short periods of time. Mm-hmm. You're not even out there long enough to really get some real heat in the tires, <laughs> like on large track days. Totally, sessions. it's very different in that kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah. for you to come back off and maybe give it, go out and uh, you know leave the parking lot, go out on the road, and just do a lap around the block or something like that, just to give it a little bit of a cool down and then shut it off. I think you're fine. Yeah. And I you also can turn it off totally just maybe a little bit of cool down a little bit, but I don't even think you're hard enough on the brakes to really get, you know, some brake squish and you know, you're, Oh, these are too hot. I'm not getting the braking power. You're out there for such short runs.
0: And I, th- I think there's other factors in play here. I agree with you, Paul. There's not nearly the heat and stress of doing a 20, 30 minute track session. Cause again, you might, you might have driven the car at the most for two minutes solid. Yeah. You might. Yeah. But here's the thing. Are you standing on the black top of a stadium where it's 110 degrees out?
1: It depends on the condition. That
0: the could be an issue. Sure, I mean, there's yes. absolutely nothing wrong with letting the fluids keep running through your car, let it kind of calm down for a minute. There's nothing wrong with that. Right, right. I agree with Paul that if you came off of an autocross run and you shut off your car, I don't want really to think you did any damage to it. I think you're being a little nicer to pop the hood and let it run for a minute. Or like Paul said, go around the other part of the parking lot, take the long way around, just let everything just calm down. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. Yeah. I I agree that autocross is not like a 20, 30-minute track session where everything got super-duper hot. It's not exactly the same thing. Lucas says, uh, what would we change most about our cheap sports cars? I have an answer. Oh, you do? I have an answer I am all about. Okay. I would like fresh seats. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I we're not going to spend that money, but but if I could, Fair enough. I Fair would enough. retrofit some more modern, still heated, better ergonomic seats into the Z4. It's not going to happen. It's not money I'm going to spend. I'm not going to try to figure out a way to, to shoehorn other seats in there, but I would like better seats. The seats are they're They're worn.
1: They're really worn on the SLK, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Yeah. I would like a little bit more power. Is that I too have, much to ask? I don't care.
0: The seats would get it done for sure. Yeah. Seats would be good. Alan
1: Schrank on Facebook asks, what's our take on the current class action suit against GM for the Grand Sport Z06 wheels, cracking and breaking as a C6 Z06 owner. Alan's wondering if it will go the same way went for the valve issue. That's interesting because this question caught my eye during our Corvette generations film, the white Z06 that we had Mm -hmm. suffered from a cracked wheel. Mm -hmm. Now the owner had attributed to that, to a tire change from the shop who somehow Kept on to the, you know, hanging on to the rim and and the machine cracked the rim a little bit. He isn't sure. But that's interesting that you bring that up. I wasn't aware of that. I really appreciate bringing it to our attention because, you know, now it's a class action suit, which means it's happened to more people. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. we nursed that car. We would fill it up with air on the chute and we'd watch, you know, carefully our temps and our air pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then go drive it hard and the car did fine. But then... You know, I would sit for five, 10 minutes and we're going, ah, got to fill it with air again. So it was significant enough to be actually kind of a burden during the shoot. And yeah. I remember that specifically. And the owner just had to replace that rim, I believe. I don't know that they got it fixed. I think he just threw the rim away. But
0: that's interesting. That's that's rough. Sorry to hear. Driver Mod said, can we name a car we've recommended to someone we never thought we'd recommend to anyone, but it turned out to be the right answer. Uh, yes, absolutely. We've recommended the Prius before. Yeah. And that is not a car that I enjoy driving. It's not a car that I think, wow, you ought to get a Prius. (laughs) However, if your usage is right in its sweet spot, which is I'm just slogging along the 405, barely moving in a commute mode and I need miles per gallon, it's pretty hard to beat. And there have been people where, where they're shopping for that kind of thing. And I've gone, get a Prius. I, let, let, why are we walking around the subject? Just get a Prius and be happy. So I have recommended them, even though I would never personally ever be like, you know what you need. <laughs> but, so, but but the, but this is the thing I love you know about what this. what the recipe for you is. This is the thing I love yeah. about this car debate, though, is that that you guys are sending in your requests. And it's not about the cars Paul and I like, even though, look, there are certain cars. Sometimes. Certain, no, no, that, but my point bit. here is there are certain cars in certain market segments that are standouts. And guess what? They're going to get talked about because they're standouts at market segment. I know it's been overly discussed, but the Cayman and the 86 are two of them Mm -hmm. partially because Paul and I love them. But also, you know what? They're really good (laughs) at what they do, (laughs) which is is why they get discussed. So the Miata is another one. There's obviously cars in market segments that are, that are the real standouts and the greatest hits. And they're going to get talked about, but we're trying to find the car for you that you will enjoy driving because it does everything you need. And if you are a person who is just a commute warrior, and that's your only purpose, then you get into things like the Prius that do the commute well. I still maintain that Priuses
1: should have the best seats ever created by any car don't. company And they don't, and they should.
0: You're right. It should be the most
1: ergonomically spectacular, yes. beautiful, perfect seat mm-hmm. that you never need to leave, actually. Yes,
0: you're right. The driver's seat in, in the Prius should be in a class by itself. It isn't. It, that's where it does kind of feel like a commuting. are spending yep. so much time in it. Absolutely, yeah.
1: All right. There's a question uh, here from Brandon R. and also Steve Clark. He says, "In our opinion," Brandon says, "Who has better canyon roads, Colorado or Utah? What hmm. western state has the best drivers' roads?" Brandon's lived in Denver for 28 years, and now he's in Washington. Also, Steve Clark says, "What's our favorite road in Colorado?" Check us out at Colorado Cars and Coffee. Steve, thanks for writing. Colorado and Utah are pretty close. I agree. Yeah, it's it's a direct punch back and forth because Utah has some spectacular roads, yes, but we've discovered time. the Million Dollar Highway in a Colorado
0: which is one of my favorites now. Western Colorado's got some really great stuff. Yeah.
1: California's got some beautiful asphalt. That's the thing about California,
0: yeah. I, the, yeah. The, and I've said this before, and I have to reiterate it. The place where California and Utah struggle against California in this regard, where California often wins, and I can't explain to you why this was the case, but if you look at a map, the satellite map, which is how we, we scout a lot of roads, in, Cal- in in Colorado or Utah, and you find a weird squiggle through the mountains, mm-hmm. it's probably dirt. Yeah, yeah. Every weird squiggle you find to the mountains in California is paved.
1: The other thing is weather. because yes. You find a squiggle and you think, uh, what month is it? Hmm. Mm, darn. In but in California, mean, you can go drive that road right now. Like
0: the high Sierras that get major weather in California watch our mid-inches and mountains film, because this is an exact discussion of, of that. There's some, we use some roads in mid-inches and mountains that honestly, for traffic purposes have no reason to be paved. Yeah, they are near nothing. Yeah. They service a trailhead. Exactly. Okay, you the had asphalt equipment all the way up here. Seriously, the trailhead is twenty miles from the nearest podunk nothing town, which is hundreds of miles from the nearest actual city. Right, and for some reason, all the way to the parking lot is, and the parking lot too is paved. It's like what? What's going on in <laughs> Thank Colorado? You, but why exactly in Colorado <laughs> yes. and Utah? That does not happen in California. It's every squiggle on the map, which is crazy.
1: Matt Garrett, 82 on Instagram, asks how far is too far for a pleasure drive? Matt lives in the flatland known as the Netherlands and craves curvy roads so badly, he sees the mountains of the Eiffel region from their green grass German neighbors three hours away and thinks maybe his wife and kid won't notice if he leaves for a bit. (laughs) We say go. We say go because... Honestly, a lot of our travel time is just getting to location. Yeah. A lot yeah, of our shoots. And that's what we're pushing on because we've got some roads in our backyards, which are spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. We can use them a few times during the year and we've mm-hmm. realized, mm-hmm. yeah, we've kind of overshot that stretch of road. Yeah. The yeah. lower section, we haven't really shot yet. Let's go shoot that part. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, it's, it's used, but you know, we shoot it creatively, create, you know, different times of the year. So sometimes you can't really tell we've been pushing on spectacular scenery and the background and the location where the cars are right. at are just as important as the cars absolutely are yeah. we put the the uh, workhorse sedans mm-hmm. you know we're thinking all right we've got all these you know good sedans but you know what we're not going to go out in the forest or on some cool roads we're going to be in the city driving yeah, these yeah, things that's sure. where these cars live mm-hmm. and so it's always context but we're willing to go, you know, drive there to get the most out of the car that we've got. And so therefore, absolutely figure out a way for you to go do a day trip.
0: Mm-hmm. If it's three yeah. hours to get yeah, there yeah.
1: and you're doing 90 minutes, that's what we've done here. We've gone, you know, almost two hours to get to location, two and a half mm-hmm. before the road actually gets good.
0: Yeah.
1: And People are going, you're, you drive two and a half hours just so you can go drive?
0: Yes. Yes. Indeed, we yes. do. I mean, Matt, here's the thing. Is there a negotiation discussion here with your wife and kids? I'm assuming they don't want to go. I'm assuming that's part of the part of the discussion. So, is there a, a weekend day you can carve out, and can you go with a friend, and can you make a day of it? Because there's nothing wrong with that. We we find as much as obviously we do this for a living. We also find great recharge as car guys to put some miles under the tires for a while, and then you wind up at a great road, and you think honestly, I've, I do it every single time. Halfway to the great road, I'm going. I can't believe we're driving this far for this <laughs> like, road. What am I doing out here? Why? Except right. I'm typically listening to audio books. I'm just like, you know what? Next chapter. Here we go. But <laughs> but halfway, I'm like, why are we doing this? And then we get to the road. I'm like, I can't even tell you how happy I am. We did this. Yeah. And the whole drive yeah. home, I'm like, that road was awesome. That was awesome. So Matt, yeah. I think there's there's real recharge as a car person about doing that. So if you can't take family, can you go with a buddy? Can you carve out a day and just make a day of it? Because I do think it's worth it.
1: There's a question on here at Instagram from EWH105 who asks if we think the difficulty in taxing charged-at-home electric vehicles could be a block Mm. or hindrance to long-term encouragement from governments around the world. And the example is something that you fill up your car, like synthetics or hydrogen, can be taxed at the purchase. Same thing with fuels. they can be taxed at the point (laughs) of purchase rather than filling your EV up at home.
0: The Everyday Driver Tax Podcast. Today on the podcast, yeah.
1: You're actually running into… a lot of the discussion that electric vehicle owners are talking about, they're saying, well, you know, how do we tax electric vehicles? Because they're not paying mm-hmm. those built-in taxes at the pump yep. that serve, theoretically, to improve the roads. To maintain and maintain the roads the that the
0: roads. cars are still on, yes.
1: And so and electric vehicle owners are going, okay, that's just a byproduct of what I totally. drive. Yeah. And, you know, I'll pay the taxes and whatever when I, you know, get charged at home from the electric company. However the Mm -hmm, however mm -hmm. the car is being charged, solar cells, I paid a lot of money to get solar panels on my roof, or I'm totally plugged into the wall at home or whatever. I'll just do that. But you're you're running into that. It's always going to be an ongoing fight because the easy thing is to tax the fuel at the source. Yes. So will that mean is the public electric chargers will now cost you more for that electricity than just waiting to charge at home? But now what if you want to charge at home? You got to pay two thousand dollars for an inverter You can Mm plug it into the wall and just use the car thing, but a lot of companies have told us if you just use that, the one that came with the car, that's pretty hard on your home system, the Mm -hmm. the electrics in your house, the wiring in your house. So go ahead and get that inverter if you do own an electric car.
0: The heavy-duty charge is almost always worth it. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah.
1: So, okay,
0: but it's going to be tougher to, to charge. I feel like governments are going to figure out something. There's been discussion in some places about part of your car registration every year. It, it you get taxed on the mileage you drove. Yeah. So it removes it from the pump at all. So that if you put five thousand miles in your car, you owe this much in taxes. If what fifteen thousand, you owe this much. But I mean, anytime you mention the word taxes, everybody freaks out. So it's mm-hmm. uh, the, the the weird thing about the gas pump is the average person, even though it like in California where they charge you a lot, uh, even though it's. Typically posted right there on the pump. Most people don't think about the fact that part of what they're paying for in gas is a tax. Just taxes. Yeah. You just don't even think about it most of the time. So it kind of gets ignored. Yeah. Peter Renslow said, can, can a manual transmission make an otherwise boring car interesting? Peter, I stopped on this because he said he saw a Crosstrek with a manual in his neighborhood and, and didn't even know they still made them. Yes, they make them. A Subaru does a good number of manual transmissions. You can get the manual or you can get the CBT. I will not rant here on the CVT, but these are your options. Peter, here's the interesting thing. Paul and I have talked about this a lot. We have a TV episode coming up that discusses it. We've discussed it elsewhere. We're thrilled to have these new cheap sports cars that have manuals, both of which have got pretty good manuals, even though I think your Mercedes might have a better one.
1: The snickety-snick in the Mercedes is so good. surprisingly good. good. It's so satisfying to have one again. But here's the
0: thing that's interesting. Car journalists at large, like, like before they even enter the room... The comment ahead of them by thirty minutes is everything's better with a manual. Exactly, everything's better with a manual. Uh, well, this this car is awesome. This sedan's great, but it'd be better with a manual. No, here, here, right. Here's the crazy thing. That is the perception. And look, I will say this: every car with a manual is more involving than a car that isn't. But I'll give you a weird example. It's like saying you have to dance with this person that's no good at it. Hmm. Wouldn't you rather sit down? The sitting down is the automatic. The dancing with the awful person is a bad manual. Yeah. There are bad manuals out there when you have to work with them. You're just like, I don't even enjoy this interaction now, and I have to do it. So bad cars are not always made better by a manual. A good manual can make a solid car great, like your Mercedes. Yeah, for sure. I,
1: ah, the Cayman is
0: still so good. You put the PDK in manual mode and there's still
1: a lot of involvement and I'm still so excited with that car. I, I love the manual though. All right. I will leave you all with a watch question. It has been a while since I've gotten one from You're Marco. All right, go. I like briefly, it briefly. I know Marco has a 2017 WRX in dark blue. What watch matches the car? Could be a watch that matches the styling aspects. He's thinking about a Seiko Sport 5 in blue, but not sure. He doesn't want something too big. 42 millimeters or 44 is right about as much as he would go. I would suggest I've got your watch. Uh-oh. Of course it's you a do. titanium G-Shock. Here's the number. GMWB5000G2.
0: <laughs> it's all just white noise
1: to it, me. It's the rectangular one. It's got the blue metal case with the black urethane band. They're 500 bucks, but, oh, it just matches. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. I was thinking the 7 Friday T3 slash 01, but it's 47 millimeters. It's pretty large, but neither of these are circular dials. Check them out. Guys. Thank you so much for your questions. TV at gmail.com is where you can write to us with your car debates or topic Tuesdays and your car conclusions, or you can find us at everydaydriver.com in the top right corner mm-hmm. under the about tab, that contact button syndicates emails to the same place. And you can also find the second YouTube channel. Yep. The YouTube tab is right there and you can choose. We've got a lot more test drives coming. A lot of stuff still in the queue to come out on the test drive channel. Tons, tons of it. it. We hope you can use it as a a drive homework. Absolutely. A, A little bit of an aspect of your shopping in there as well. So thank you so much for writing. Really appreciate it, guys. Until next time. Cheers, everyone.